Welcome to Pass It On with CWR Talent. I'm CWR, and this is my podcast dedicated to helping our aspiring leaders and mentors. We're sharing the valuable experience and advice of some of the most successful executives in my network. My specialty? Discover talent and pass it on. That's it. In simpler terms, I'm a headhunter with a twist. If you want to increase your knowledge, build resilience, or simply polish your soft skills in order to lead at the next level, my guests are all happy to share what works and what doesn't. It's honest, it's forward motion, and future thinking. We like it. Catch our latest episodes that drop Sundays at 12 p.m. GMT London time. And whether you're in London, New York, Lima, Paris, Perth, or Dubai, you'll find us on all platforms where podcasts live. We appreciate each and every listener, and we hope you'll share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. Here we go. Welcome. I'm CWR. On today's podcast, we're going to explore the world of food and beverage in five-star pedigree luxury hotels, the most creative division of the hotel that can make or break a reputation. It's the one opportunity a hotel has to dazzle its guests and create lasting impressions. Many of our listeners work in the business, so you all know what I'm talking about. It's a passion for many of us, and there's nothing we love more than discovering talent in F&B. For those of you who do not work in the industry, you all love to eat and really appreciate the magic of a great experience when you're out for a delicious meal with friends or family. And it goes really well. There's a lot that goes into that final result, and here's a peek into our world. Food is personal, and there's nothing that matters more to human beings on this planet. And delivering a spectacular experience with absolutely delicious food and drink is a real gift. Delicious is delicious, from the simplest New Orleans gumbo to the sophistication of a 27-course tasting menu at a Michelin-starred restaurant and delivery of the experience can be as minimalist or as spectacular as you can imagine, depending on the mood you want to create for the guest. The F&B director can come from the front of the house or the kitchen, but it does require specialized knowledge in hygiene, food safety, inventory, and quality control, the mechanics of how a restaurant or catering event flows efficiently, and the evident love of service to the guest. It is felt by the guest more here than anywhere. The hybrid F&B leader can begin a career in culinary, the kitchen, where the most personal relationship with the food begins, where the chef's palate and ability to create is challenged on an hourly basis. The chef sets the tone for taste and presentation. It's where the kitchen brigade must be a tight-knit team with constant communication to get all those gorgeous dishes to the pass on time. At this point, the front of house takes over and whisks those hot plates of art to the guest's table, all while drifting discreetly in and out to keep the table clean, the drinks full and the ambiance flowing, delivering the sparkle to the occasion for the guest. A great F&B director has experience from both sides of the house and understands the delicate dance needed between the kitchen and the front of the house service and how the disruption to the smooth flow of the restaurant can make or break the experience for the guest. My guest today is one of today's most creative food and beverage directors in five-star pedigree luxury hotels today, Nicolas A. Vienna. 
Nicola is the current director of F&B for the Ritz-Carlton Astana, otherwise known as Nur Sultan, in Kazakhstan, a modern purpose-built capital of 1.2 million residents, multiple skyscrapers, and amazing architecture. Many of the five-star brands established hotels in Astana and Almaty to respond to the needs of the oil and gas industry and the subsequent increase to luxury tourism to the area. Nicholas is a hyper-creative, award-winning Michelin star chef turned food and beverage director with proven success through serious staff training, recipe upgrades, customer accommodation, and cost control. He's a performance-driven and customer-centric director and chef who earned his bones in Michelin star chef's kitchens during his formative 10 years and his beginnings in his native France and in the USA. Nicholas's apprenticeships couldn't have been better as he served under amazing chefs at the Plaza Athenee, Alain Ducasse Paris, Four Seasons Georges V, as well as the very well-known Boutard and Esco. Once he moved into the world of five-star hotels with teams under his own direction, with Sofitel, Nicolas was able to refine his own style and vision as an area executive chef in South China, and as a culinary designer for the pre-opening of the So Sofitel in Bangkok. Fast forward to Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts when Nicolas was asked to take on the complete F&B experience as Director of Food and Beverage in Mauritius, and then with the Four Seasons Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. After five successful years with Four Seasons, Nicolas was approached to lend his creative approach to food as art to the Ritz-Carlton Astana. Expectations are high at the Ritz-Carlton, and I'd like to invite Nicholas to pass it on and share with our listeners where the trends are in F&B and what the most important skills one must have to be successful on his team. Welcome, Nicola. Thanks for joining me on Pass It On. Hi. Good evening, Corinne. It's a pleasure for me to, to be with you. Great. I'm so glad you could join us. Uh, you're um, presently in Astana in Kazakhstan. And Nicola, you've worked around the world for some of the most demanding gastronomy restaurants and luxury hotel brands in the world. You have to stay on your toes with new ideas and energy constantly evolving. You're also really well-traveled and have shared some of your amazing discoveries on social media. What inspires you out on the road? And tell us about a time when you brought back an idea from a trip and transformed it into a, a really special five-star F&B experience. I mean, this question um, was always, I mean, a question for me when I work in Mauritius uh, for four seasons. I will always ask me, the question why the guests are so amazed when we do, you know, a simple barbecue on the beach or a romantic dinner, etc. For me, it was nothing exciting when you work in a place and you live in the place around six years. And um, I mean, I, I, I realized when I was in Mendoza in Argentina in a fantastic uh, vineyard in the Valle de Uco with my wife and I organized a barbecue. Uh, with a nice view on the vineyard. And at that moment, when I sit, you know, there was a fantastic table in the middle of the vineyard, only us. And at that moment, I understand, okay, this is a point, uh, what we need also to move on and to make maybe the guest experience better. So after, you know, a long trip in South America, and I'm about to choose, 
I say to my, my team, we need to, to do differently, different way, because a simple barbecue or romantic dinner uh, with a couple of uh, candles does not work anymore. Hmm. And um, we decide to move on for uh, something I call experience with a big X, X capital. And uh, in fact, it's to create uh, a unique experience where the guests not feel, for example, welcome. They arrive in a room, empty room, and uh, it's a blindfolding uh, aperitif and tasting. And they see when they enter only one man. But during the time they are coming, you know, we are doing uh, this kind of game of tasting um, of aperitif and snacks. We are setting up the table. Uh, we play with um, to wake the sense of the guest, and is is very nice. So when the guests finish their, uh, I do it short. And when the guests finish, you know their aperitif, we remove the, we first of all blast a balloon where we put inside a special essence for for like a cleansing, so the guests forget everything. Get <laughs> some drops on the face, and uh, this is uh, like the covers a table set with around five five to six people around them. And uh, they are pretty surprised. But this is not only that. We, they start to eat the appetizer by hands. This is nothing special. But we stop suddenly the dinner and we start the journey in the resort. So the guests go in different spots in the resort. And that uh, is pretty am amazing for them because they are, they are finishing their dinner around a simple bonfire, like a childhood back, you know, the s'mores with the marshmallows, a glass yeah. of champagne, and yeah. this is it. So they finish their journey, you know, with something very sophisticated. They start with something very sophisticated and they finish with something very simple. Uh, and this is what I learned with my travel to go back really to simplicity, connection with a local culture. Uh, but it's what the guests are looking for. Uh, I have another example, very quick. Uh, the guest asked me why the marinated coconut tuna salad in Bora Bora is so good. It's because <laughs> it's the right product, the right place, and the right people. This is it. If you make the same in New York, go to the most expensive restaurant, will not have the same flavor. So this is a way I'm uh, driving, you know, my new ideas or inspiration. That's really fantastic. It sounds a little bit like the experience in Paris I had once in Don Le Noir, this restaurant that, you know, you eat in the dark blindfolded. It was really amazing experience. It's, it's true, it's what, true, yeah. And, and when you're preparing a new concept like this or, or, or new experiences, but when you're preparing a new concept and in order to realize your vision and your culinary design, what are the most important components of that design to get right? So uh, if you go for the culinary side, I mean, what is the most important for uh, the food part is, of course, uh, the plates, uh, the color, I mean, the, the eye catch. Uh, now, unfortunately, everybody wants to take photos and to make the dish Instagrammable. But you know, when something is uh, look nice, colorful is not always good. So now we have to play, I mean, uh, actually we have to play uh, always over the edge to make sure the dish is, is stunning on the photo and tasty. So my three more, most important uh, components for the culinary design is, is of course, yeah, the plates, the textures, and, uh, and the look. The first, you know, uh, something can, uh, can be, you know, eye catch. 
for when we implement, because I'm working now, uh, by the way, on a few, few new concepts uh, mm -hmm. in Astana. And the first things we have to, in Astana is different. Uh, and we're going to be very arrogant when I'm going to say, because in fact, the hotel I'm working, we are driving the hospitality in town. So we are not uh, mm -hmm. we are not following the trend. The guests will follow our trend uh, mm -hmm. because we need to impose and to drive the business in a way that the guests need to have something new on the market. It's a very green market, very open market. So uh, we are. I cannot tell you what we are working now because it's still uh, on the on the paper, and uh, we are keep going for that. Uh, mm -hmm. But for my. A uh, previous project uh, when I was in Riyadh, uh, in Riyadh was a different market, is very show off. So we have to work uh, to create also uh, something new. So for me, a culinary, culinary design, culinary concept or any concept must bring something unique in town, no, nothing else. In Astana, we are bringing some unique product that no one has in Kazakhstan. Uh, just to let you know, we are getting now, uh, next week, the macarons from Pierre Hermé. So Ooh. in all this part of the world, including Russia, they don't never got Pierre Hermé macarons. So we are wow. the first to, to get that. We are working on a project to develop Pierre Hermé uh, because I developed the, the, the concept in four seasons. So they are willing to start to work with us in uh, Kazakhstan. It was not an easy task, to be honest. So we, mm. we need to, when you, you create a concept, especially in an hotel, the question is always for me, uh, why the guests will come to us? We have rooms, we have restaurants, we have cutlery, tables, chairs, like everyone. We have burgers, club sandwich, etc. But Pierre May will be a driver, a business driver for us because no one in town will have the same product. And this is just the start of the journey for, um, for the Ritz-Carlton Astana. We are working really on unique to make sure no one can, uh, can go uh, above us. Once your, your restaurant concept then is ready to launch, then building a team of champions front of the house to deliver that magic to the guests, uh, you know, I've always seen it like a Broadway musical with the most talented and service-loving individuals, kind of like the Walt Disney Company does when they recruit uh, front of house people. What are the qualities you find most important? when you're recruiting for your restaurant managers and for the team in the front of the house? So what you say, I mean, your new question is nice because what you say about Walt Disney, I, I uh, before to join Four Seasons, um, Disney in Paris contact me to be the culinary director. And um, not, not only the front of the house, but the back of the house is look like a Walt Disney uh, cartoon. Everything is so nice. So well organized, even the people, it was pretty amazed. I mean, this is just a, you know, a short story out of your question, but the quality I'm looking for, for um, about a manager, restaurant manager, is someone I really, you know, um, a spirit of openness. This is what I learned from, from Sofitel. It was one of the, the driver uh, from the team is spirit of openness. Someone has no limit, someone who travels, someone curious, and someone who's passionate. Right now, we are, we are facing more and more, especially on the Asian side, of people looking for only the salary, then they're looking for the rest. And the position is also mm. a, a very important. On my side, when I'm looking for a job, uh, the first things I ask is, who are the owner? Who is the general manager? Who is the financial director? 
and then the salary. So that's now uh, the generation is not the same. They are, uh, when they are uh, like between 20 and 30 years old, they're really focused first on position uh, for show off, uh, for the mm -hmm. prestige. And then uh, the salary is extremely important. So it's not really the case, I can say in France. In France, we are really still, we can remain, you know, very traditional hospitality industry where uh, we follow, you know, the steps. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the rest of the world, it's really uh, the driver is a cash and position. Um, but the main, the main important quality for me is someone passionate. If you hire uh, a mixologist, he has no passion to make it, will never, will never happen. We need to have someone who wants to, you know, to, uh, to be able to walk on the water and, uh, and have no limit. So this is exactly the profile I'm looking for. Now, as your heart has always been in the kitchen as well, what advice would you give to our aspiring head chefs? Besides all the technical skills and knowledge required, what are the soft skills they must master in order to lead at the next level? So, um, I, you know, I, I did my, uh, my study, most of my, my study in, in, in France, in Paris, and I got mm -hmm. the chance to, uh, to study in the United States, in, uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, in Johnson & Wales, which is a, a big university. They have six campuses around the U.S. It's the number seven best uh, hospitality uh, university in, around the world. And um, when I arrived there, I was uh, 22 years old, uh, 21 years old, sorry. And I was surprised about uh, the advance, I mean, in terms of technique, in terms of, uh, in terms of ideas, the chef and student they had versus French people. I studied uh, six years in, in France. And when I arrived in, in US, the guy was already making a savory ice cream with some weird uh, flavor and stuff like that. They really <laughs> move on out of the age. Like in UK, it's the same story. We always criticize, you know, UK or United States for the food. But yes, they go over the age with sometimes weird things, but they are much more open than the French people. So for me, what the chef needs to do out of the techniques is he needs to travel. This is a one major point. But also he has to be not only a chef. He has to, be, he has to understand the front of the house and understand how he will create his menu. Uh, most of the chef I'm dealing with, and because I used to be executive chef, so it's hard for them to play with me. Um, <laughs> they, they, but I'm very flexible. I listen to them, but I show them that the dish they are making maybe will not fit for the guests because of uh, the setup. Uh, the plate could be too cold because the, the plating takes too much time and um, the design is not the right. So they need really to think out of the box and to think, okay, I'm the guest, I will like it or not. I have an example where one of my chefs make a dish completely black on a black plate. So there was no sense because first the black color will not very appealing and attra attracting for the guest and it was on a black plate, so completely wrong. Uh, so I did those mistakes when I was only in, in, in kitchen and uh, didn't realize that some dish was, could not fit for the market or could not fit for the, the service to be able to, uh, to provide uh, the proper service for the guest. And as far as 
a country, for example, with a cuisine that you've not yet experienced and that you'd like to experiment with? Um, in fact, yeah, I, I, I went in all the continents. I'm the, the big fan of uh, Chinese cuisine because it's really the, the beginning of all Asian, Asian food. Uh, the past four years, I travel a lot in uh, South America, and but I never work in South America. And for me, uh, this is really a cuisine. Um, and I cannot give you a country. Uh, it's really South America. It's not Central America. Where uh, Mexico is really uh, Colombia, Argentina, or Peru, where you have a very, very interesting technique and a very interesting cuisine and ingredients. Because lot of our ingredients we are using in Europe are coming from uh, the colony and coming from uh, South America. So for me, uh, the most amazing country I traveled was really Brazil, uh, where you find some stunning product and uh, where there is no limits. Uh, when you know the acai, where it's coming from, and I know in London, everybody put acai powder in their yogurt uh, or beer mostly for breakfast. And when you know where is the product coming from, uh, you are thinking twice before you're going to eat it. So, um, <laughs> but for me, Brazil, yeah, it's, it's a place to be because it's a place where the people, uh, we don't understand, in fact, I mean, uh, our hospital industry well, but they do it well because the way they are, taking care of the product, the way they are doing with it, it's, uh, it's stunning. Simple, it's stunning. I, th I think that's a really fascinating place as well. In fact, uh, I'm just getting familiar myself with Peruvian cuisine. Uh, my daughter-in-law, my brand new daughter-in-law is from Lima. And so I'm finally experiencing a Peruvian cuisine that I've never really been too familiar with. And it's true that the South American countries have, have very interesting technique. Um, what, what do you consider? Here's my last question for you, uh, Nicola. Who do you consider was your most influential mentor in your career? And, and what did you learn? So my most, I mean, out of my mother was the person who really teach me uh, to like to make cuisine, to cook, uh, because it's coming from, uh, coming from there. Uh, it was in, in, uh, in 2007, uh, I was in Bora Bora and I contacted um, a French chef uh, who was based uh, in Hanoi in Vietnam and uh, to be part of the French um, French speaking association called Village de Chef. And this chef, in fact, worked in the same place, open uh, the Sofitel Bora Bora on the 70s. So it was not, it's not very, wow. very new. And I worked there. And uh, at that point, he said, okay, let's please join our association and in uh, 2010, well, before that, I met him in Paris. And in 2010, I went in Hanoi for, to celebrate the new year. And it was, uh, this chef worked only with a spice um, from Vietnam. Vietnam is a country, you know, with the size of the country versus India, is a country with the, the, the biggest quantity of spice and kind of spice. And uh, he closed his restaurant for me to show me how to cook. So you wow. need to understand in, in 2003, I got a Michelin star. So 
seven years after someone told me, forget whatever you, you, you learn, I will show <laughs> you how, how to cook. And because Vietnam with all the embargo they got, they used everything, everything there they use. So mm -hmm. uh, they don't put anything in garbage. And this chef showed me how to, with uh, the fish sauce, uh, the, the fish sauce, they have the gnoc mam, the very strong gnoc mam, how to rebalance a Western dish with some Asian ingredients. And, and this chef is Didier Corlu. And this, um... chef, this chef, in fact, a lot of uh, three Michelin star chefs come to him to learn cooking. I will not tell you the name because they still have their three Michelin star. But this <laughs> chef is, is uh, fantastic. Uh, he put me in the street to cook, uh, to steam some crepes, uh, Vietnamese crepes, in the middle of the streets and say, now handle it. So it was pretty funny. And um, he's a chef with a big heart who loves to share. But the, the talent is really to use a spice and not to overpower a dish with a spice. Is very, uh, his cuisine is very complex. For me, I always say, if there is four Michelin star in a guide, uh, in a red guide, Didier Carlo will get four because he is someone who creates. He's someone who makes his own cheese, like I used to make in a different hotel. I used to make my own cheese, my own cold, own, own cold cuts. But you, when you see now some Michelin chef in France where they have three stars, they're not doing that. They just buy their cheese from uh, the artisan next door. So we, this chef has a real talent because of the fact there is this such embargo in Vietnam. You cannot get everything you want, but he's using all the product he can find on the, on the market. So um, he's, he's a chef to, 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 to met and uh, he teach me a lot. So he's my father. In fact, my culinary father, my uh, the uncle of my daughter, and uh, yeah, it's in my best friend. That's really a fantastic story, Nicola. I really love it when we hear about great mentor stories. Uh, it's kind of what our initiative here at Passing On is all about, is about passing on and mentoring the next generation. Nicola, thank you so much for joining me today on Pass It On. I think yours is a fascinating journey, and it'll be interesting to see what's next. I hope you'll come back uh, as soon as you discover something new and different out there in your travels and share it with our listeners. It was a pleasure, Corinne, and uh, anytime uh, in Astana or somewhere else, it will be a pleasure to speak, to you, speak with you. And to me as well. Thank you so much, Nicola. A très bientôt. À très bientôt. Au revoir. Au revoir. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll give us a like. Please tick follow for notifications of our latest episodes on the platform of your choice. This has been Pass It On with CWR Talent. Pass it on. <laughs>